the Asian Boxing Podcast, Scott and Colin, AsianBoxing.info. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day, wherever you may be. We appreciate you. Scott, how are you this good day, sir? I'm not bad at all. And yourself? I'm doing well. I have another day off, like last week, so I'm just chilling, ready to talk some boxing. Good week to talk boxing. Really good week to talk boxing. We have a lot of results for us to get to from this past week. Let's start off with King Tug. I love me some King Tug. He was in the ring with a decent prospect in Kobia Breedy. Yeah, yeah, this was supposed to be a mismatch. Uh, King Tug was about 10 to 1 uh, favorite. We couldn't put money on on the Mongolian. He was so heavily uh, favored. And yet he was given a genuinely good test by the unheralded, unknown, previously unbeaten Kobe Abridi. Breedy, if you looked at footage of him, looked open, but he looked like he was going to make it into a fight. And he really did make this into a fight. He was put down in round one. He was put down in round two, but from there on, this was just nip and tuck. Breedy pressing, using his speed, using his movement, and King Tug, although he started really well, seemed to sort of fall asleep halfway through the bout and made it a very, very close contest. We were talking about this before we went on, but he seems to need a challenge to, to really pull out the best of his skills. Obviously, he got that challenge when he fought Gary Russell. It's the only loss on his ledger. Does he have to go back to a guy like Gary Russell to pull out the best of him? I think he probably needs to go back to somebody at the top, but I think he probably also needs to see his uh, coach like a fire in his ass, to be honest. Against Gary Russell Jr., he did nothing in the first six rounds. Against Greedy, he did nothing in the middle six rounds. If he can put a good performance on where he fights for 12 rounds, brilliant. But until someone can get into his head and say, you need to be competing at your best from the start to the end, I think he'll always be one of those guys who makes things very tough for himself. So for him, it's all about consistency. He needs to stay consistent the entire time. And if he can't do that, well, he's not going to be at the, the world level or at the top of the world level. Yeah, yeah, I think a fight with someone like Gary Russell Jr. would be perfect for him. But again, he needs the consistency. He needs somebody to inspire him to actually go for it right through. It's hard to say whether or not it's mental, perhaps more than physical. It could be a stamina issue. It could be that he's got question marks or like that. But I think it's, I think it's very much in his head um, that he can win bouts by cruising a little bit too much. I wish him nothing but the best. I want to see him at the world level. I think he's uber talented. I love his nickname, King Tug. Super cool. Gives off an Egyptian vibe. I love it. Uh, but like all world class fighters, you need to be consistent. And if you aren't, well, you might get exposed. Uh, in Japan, this past Wednesday, we had a pretty decent card with some uh, up-and-coming prospects. Let's start off with Kazuki Nakajima. What did he do? He stopped Kenta Nomura in three rounds. He looked... Um, it's kind of hard to complain about a guy who wins a knockout, but he looked really rigid, really upright and stiff. It was a complaint I had about him earlier in the year when he beat Sia Satsumi. He's... One of those guys that you look at, he kind of this guy shouldn't be hard to beat. He looks wrong. He fights very, very robotically. But for whatever reason, he seems trickier to hit than he actually looks. And he also has really, really heavy hands, as Nomura found out. 
and that's important in the boxing game. Uh, and we, we see power become the equalizer uh, even when you have maybe a little bit more skill, maybe a little bit more heart. Power always is a huge equalizer. Now, he fought this at super bantamweight, but of course, he won or got to the finals of that huge bantamweight tournament. Where do you see him in the future? At what weight do you see him at? He actually won that bantamweight tournament. Despite being decided as a draw, he won on whatever tiebreaker rules they were having, um, which was really a bit crap because it seemed like he didn't deserve the draw, to be quite frank. Uh, You see his future probably being at super bantamweight there. I think that's a weight where his speed will make up for his rigidity a bit more. Um, It might not, and he... And Heidi Yukihashi did speak up fighting for a world for a Japanese or OPBF title either weight. So it's whichever weight, I guess, the opportunity comes up at. Also on the card, uh, the young 20-year-old light flyweight prospect, Katsuki Mori. How did Mori look? Mori looked fantastic. Um, yeah, Mori looks really good. Mori is, I think we spoke on him last week, a really exciting young talent. He's very quick, very sharp. He really tried to put on a show with Yuki Ukida, who came to win himself, so it wasn't a squash match, despite Ukida's 7-7 seven and seven record. He came to win, he just wasn't good enough. And Mori... Mori Sean. Um, incidentally, Mori wore shorts that were very, very reminiscent of Noye Inoue's shorts that he wore against Yuki Sano on his Fuji TV debut. So I'm not sure if Ohashi are perhaps trying to invoke images of Mori being the next Inuit-type super talent. Hey, I mean, I'm all for it. If we get another Inoue-type talent, um, I am all in. And we know the light flyweight division super, super stacked, especially in Japan. So I'm looking forward to what Mori is able to do in his upcoming bouts. Yeah, just in the Inuit conversation, they're not the same style, but he is an incredible talent, and he is one worth uh, one worth really following going forward. Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin hanging out, chilling on this beautiful Monday afternoon. Hopefully, you're doing well wherever you may be. Remember, it's the Asian Boxing Podcast on AsianBoxing.info, the best website for anything Asian boxing. If you're not on there, you need to get on there now. Scott does such an excellent job. Uh, Scott, we have a bunch of fights coming up and a couple of world title bouts uh, that are kind of exciting. One with John Real Casimiro. Now, we wanted to see him with Inoue. Instead, he's going against Duke Micah. How do you see this one shaking out? Micah is an unbeaten American-based Ghanaian. From the footage of him, he doesn't look particularly good. He's got a 24-0 record, but his only notable win of any real value is over Daniel Rivera. Rivera's name might be familiar to a few of our listeners because he fought a couple of weeks ago against Jesse Rodriguez and was stopped in a round. He actually put Mika down and lasted eight rounds, so this should be a bit of a walkover for Casemiro if Casemiro's head's on the right place. We've seen Casemiro show a few inconsistencies just like we've seen with King Tug. But when he's on song, he's fantastic, and this should be made to uh, make it look like a showcase. Now, if Casimiro does make this a showcase, walk over his opponent, uh, is Naoya Inoue next on his docket? 
he spoke about wanting to fight either uh, the monster or Luis Neri. So if we get one of those two fights, I don't really think we can complain. I'd be okay with either one. And you say you get Neri and Casimero in there and and the winner fights Inoue. I'd be okay with that. I'll we end up with that there at 1-2-2. Two, two. Um, Neri's fighting for the Dewey BC Super Bantamweight title on the same show. So we could see Casimero and Neri and... Maybe Inoue versus the Ubali versus Donaire winner, maybe. Uh, that's true, because then Casimero decides to move up to 1-2-2. Two, two. Uh, maybe Inoue, if he can, get by Maloney and the winner of Obali Donaire, maybe he jumps up and, and goes to 1-2-2. Two, two. So a lot of interesting fights for Inoue fans out there. Are they, he, he doesn't have um, a lack of talent in his surrounding weight classes. No, no, those two weight classes are absolutely brilliant. They're very, very underrated. Um, you also got guys like Murjan Akhmedaliev, Riske Awasa, Shingo Wake. Yeah, there's a, a hell of a lot of talent at 118 and 122, even if they're not necessarily the biggest names in the sport. I'm excited. I, I can't wait to see how it all unfolds. Another world title bout, and I'm going to butcher his name, but it's Josh Taylor. I'm not going to butcher that one. I know how to say Josh Taylor. Uh, but out of Thailand, Danua Rao, and I'm I'm gonna stop there. Rawaking, I don't know. I'm sorry. I apologize. You're better at this, Scott. Either Danua Rawaking or Apinung Kongsung. This is one of those cases where the Thai is known by one name. They're known by the Danua um, name. Uh, box rep list him as Apinung Kongsung. Apinung Kongsung is the name on most of the promotional posters anything else for it depends on how you want to do ties when in doubt follow the ties right exactly shisuke wang heng downing these are easier names and yeah let's show respect you know let's not go off on the we know better than them we'll call them by their birth names josh taylor extremely extremely talented i love him as a fighter just blue chip talent uh, is able to get in there get the job done uh, do you see Taylor having any trouble with the, the TIE fighter? I think it really depends on what Josh Taylor's mindset is. He's changed training since his last fight. He's been arrested in Scotland for saying something over Christmas. He, If his head's on the job, he should easily defend his title. If he's only 80% there, then there's a good chance that he could end up being caught. We saw Downey would knock out Akira Condor. A couple of fights ago, and Apinon is not the sort of guy that you take the risks against. He can hit, and whether or not he lands is a different question, but he can certainly punch. And maybe, just maybe, Taylor's not going to be 100%. His mind might be on Ramirez, his mind might be on the change to Ben Davison as a trainer. He's not got the Scottish crowd behind him for this one. But yeah, Taylor has to be favoured, but don't completely rule off the upset. That's why you get in the ring. That's why you fight the fights. You can't look ahead. Uh, I know Taylor and Ramirez is kind of the super fight that everyone wants at super lightweight, but you still have to to get in the ring and, and take care of business. So you're right. Anything can happen. And that's why we love boxing because anything can happen. The, the underdog can pull it off. Buster Douglas could, could beat Mike Tyson, right? Uh, so I'm still excited to, to see the fight between Downwa and Taylor. Now, uh, we have a couple bouts also coming up in Japan. Let's start on the women's side. Mika Iwakawa 
the atom weight is getting back in the ring. She's 37. Incredible. She inspires me fighting at her age. The commitment and everything else that must go into making such a low weight. Yeah, she's a woman. Yeah, she's like five foot two or something. But still, the commitment making such a low weight is just incredible at her age. This will be her first defense of the title that she won two years ago. And she won the title by beating now Ikiyama. You just mentioned uh, Iwakawa's age, but Ikiyama at the time was in her late 40s. For whatever reason, women in the lower weights seem to go on forever. Her opponent is Nane Suzuki. She's been found out a bit recently, and I think she will come up short here in what should be a very, very, very fun to watch fight that will be available um, for free. Yay, free. This will be streamed on the Boxing Real channel on YouTube, which is showing the top three bouts on the show, including Shun Kubo and Kohei Oba, who's known as the Mayweather of Nagoya. Those are big words. Big words. Mayweather of Nagoya. He better be a, a talented boxer. He's coming out of retirement after four years in retirement with an eye injury. So. Oh, that's why. Like, yeah, he's, a, he's just like Mayweather, making random returns from retirement. Going to fight Logan Paul pretty soon. Uh, it's the Asian Boxing Podcast, asianboxing.info, Scott and Colin. Uh, one more boxer uh, that we want to get to, his fight coming up um, this week. The young 23-year-old prospect, lightweight prospect, Rentaro Kimura. He's going to be fighting on the 27th. He is. His belt's actually also being shown live on the Saruga Boys um, YouTube channel. He made his debut a few weeks ago, and boy, did he look good. He was a former amateur standout, and he debuted back in July, and scored one of the chaos of the year against Yuya Azuma. This was just one of brutal, brutal finishes. Uh, he shouldn't struggle in his belt with Takafumi Iwaya, but for fans who want to get in, you know, get in early on a prospect. This kid is, yeah, get in now. Uh, this kid's going to be big. He's going to be big fast. Speaking of prospects, he is kind of our prospect to watch. What do you like about him? I mean, he's he's a southpaw, so he's tricky. Decent height at, at close to 5'9", and, and relatively young with that amateur pedigree. Uh, what does Kimura bring to the table? Kimura brings a lot of amateur experience. He went 72 and 16 in the unpaired ranks with 26 uh, of his wins by knockout. He has international experience as an amateur. He is training in Tokyo at the Misako Gym, one of the most successful gyms in the country at the moment. He's also kept his links to where he's from originally. He actually signed with a gym in Shizuoka, so therefore he's got links to Tokyo. He's got links to back where he was originally. He's ultra-aggressive, very exciting, judges distance brilliantly, very quick, and unlike a lot of amateurs we've seen turn pro, he knows how to fight dirty. We saw in his debut that he landed an absolute brutal law blow. Um, yeah, it's nice to see, as, as nasty as it sounds, it's nice to see a novice show that nasty side, and I think that might help him going forward. Sometimes you need it, right? Because guys think that they can take advantage of you. You're an amateur boxer, and, and they want to show you, hey, this is the pro game. We get a little rough here. But when you get rough back, 
they stop it, right? They kind of back off and say, okay, he knows what he's doing in there. Exactly. Imagine if Lomachenko done that to Salida. I think we would be looking at Lomachenko being unbeaten, to be quite frankly honest. Yeah, he probably should have. I mean, uh, he got hit low like 100 times in that fight. So if he had given Salido a couple low blows back, uh, you're right, it might have been different. Yeah, something we don't see a lot of. Um, so it's an all pros trick, I guess you could call it. But yeah, it's really good to see from uh, Kimura. It was a ball-breaking shot. It was brutal. And then he knocked him out with one of the best combinations. For fans that haven't seen that one, Seriously, check out. It is one of the best knockouts you'll see this year. Is that on AsianBoxing.info? It is. Um, if you type in Yuya Azuma, Rentaro Kimura, you should find it on YouTube as well. There you go, AsianBoxing.info or YouTube, whichever one. But uh, we prefer you go to AsianBoxing.info, the website for all your Asian boxing news. Again, Scott does a great job. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast Colin and Scott, and we started this last week, but it's the Hear Ye, Hear Ye segment, and I think Scott took it even further with the pun, with my last name being Ye, but it's Hear Ye, Hear Ye time, and uh, let's get into some news, Scott. First, Jinky Maeda on the Kyoguchi card. Yeah, Jinky Maeda, one of the best young talents in Japan. This kid's fantastic. He's been added onto the Hiroto Kyoguchi card in November. Uh, he'll actually be in the co-feature, uh, sorry, the chief support belt for that card. Um, if you've never seen him, he actually owns a win over the cousin of Koki Kamida. He's a very sharp punching southpaw, heavier handed than his record suggests. He's one to watch, very young, very talented, very quick. His opponent, whose name I can't remember, um, isn't going to stand much of a chance, to be quite frank. That's why you can't remember his name. I can't remember his name. No, I saw his record earlier today, and it wasn't anything too impressive. Um, yeah, the reality is that I don't really think there's many prospects in Japan that will stay and be able to hold their own with Maeda, uh, especially not, let's find out who's fine, especially not Keita Okuba, who's 5-1-2. He has shown little in terms of uh, who he's beaten. He's the first one like Maeda yet. And Maeda should go right through uh, Okubo in four or five rounds at absolute most. Okay, we're going to we're gonna try pronouncing this man's name. He's from Kazakhstan. Probably, probably going to butcher it, but I'm going to try. Sersenbay Kulakumet. Kulakumet. Sersenbay Kulakumet, I believe. See, yours sounded way smoother, way better. All I know is that he was a medalist at uh, the 2019 IBA World Boxing Championships. That's about it. He was an absolute sensational amateur. He made his pro debut a couple of weeks ago in Kazakhstan. He looked brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. He will be in the ring in November, on November 11th, I believe, in the UK. Uh, his opponent hasn't been named, but he's talking that he wants a test. He's talking as if he wants to face someone actually some quality so hopefully we see more of him. He looks like a star. He looks on that sort of Bektomir Nalikuziev level or Mujanak Medalia type level super talent. He just has it all. He has superstar potential, a smooth style, quite reminiscent actually of Lomachenko. And he's very easy on his feet, very quick-handed, judges distance really well. There's no need to hold this guy back. He should be fighting for a world title in seven or eight fights. 
What's up with Kazakhstan? There's something in the water over there, but they just produce great amateur boxer after great amateur boxer. It's it's unreal. Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan right now are hotbeds of amateur talent. A lot of that amateur talent is turning professional or dabbling with professionals and fighting both pro and amateur like Bakadir Jalalov. It's hard to say what the cause is. Uh, investment, I guess, in the training methods and top quality training. A real desire to fight for your nations, turning out really good amateurs, and then they're turning professional with very good skill sets to begin with. Yeah, they're developing really well in the amateurs. Though. They're developing pro-ready styles in the amateurs. I think that's really the key. And then now we get to a name that I probably should be able to pronounce because I'm part Chinese. Um, but he's signing with Matchroom. His nickname is Big Bang, which is probably one of the cooler nicknames. Heavyweight, Zile Zhang. Zile Zhang or Zhang Zilai. Um, I'm not sure which way BoxRec changes Chinese names. It's so confusing. BoxRec, just have the same standard, please. Just keep everything consistent. Um, he's 21 uh, He's got 16 knockouts. He was on a match in show last year against Andrei Rudenko. He he takes a lot of boxes, but he is 37. He's 38 early next year. Um, it's hard to see what match we've got planned for him. In the past, Eddie Hearn spoke about him versus Anthony Joshua in the 91,000 seat of Birdnet Stadium in Beijing. The reality is that Zhang doesn't sell seats. His last bout in China was in front of a half-empty gymnasium. There is no pay-per-view. There isn't this big support of boxing. My guess is he's been signed to cash out against Filip Hergovich or Magdrob, Mahandrasel, Majidov or somebody else in the matchroom stable. Scott, any other big news coming down your way? There's the interesting news of Takashi Edegawa, who's had his license um, indefinitely suspended by the Japan Boxing Commission. He is the chairman of the Muto Gym, one of the biggest gyms in Osaka. They were meant to be the partner for MTK Japan when that was announced in January. Soon after the announcement that MTK Japan was being formed, Edegawa was investigated for tax evasion he has <gasps> since been guilty um, the reason this is so funny is MTK has spent the last however many months distancing themselves from Daniel Kinan suggesting that there's no possible criminal links and then the game Japan they link up with is convicted of tax evasion brilliant Ooh, the old tax evasion it fits right in with boxing, right? With all the corruption that we've come to know and love. Just a, just another boxing casualty. Just another boxing casualty. He has avoided prison, but he's been given a one-year sentence suspended for three years. So he has to be a good boy to keep his freedom. His boxing empire is now pretty much on its uh, backside. And it leaves the fighters at the Muto gym in a bit of a bind as to their immediate future. He was incidentally one of three uh, three people involved in gyms uh, suspended this this past week, along with Jun Toriyumi, who was given a six-month suspension for his um, for collecting too much money off his fighters and breaking the management fee rules in Japan. So more dodginess. 
his gym will actually close down uh, at the end of this month, I believe. And Hiroshi Haruki of the Mitsuki gym is given a one-year suspension for injuring a trainer. Japanese promoters this month, re-shining. I mean, I'm glad, uh, you know, that he stayed out of prison. That's a good thing. Uh, just be on your best behavior, sir. Please, please. And, uh, yeah, Japan really cracking down on, on crime, which I like. It's a weird one. Over here, it'd be almost pushed under the rug. Oh, oh we'll just pay whatever and let's hide it. Over there, it's kind of, yeah, you're not allowed in the spot anymore. Go away. Good, good. That's why their sport's a little bit cleaner, right? They have honor. They have respect. Um, because they crack yeah rules rules are a good thing sometimes uh it deters people from breaking them or, or doing bad things so that's a that's a good thing japan keep on doing that uh, it's the asian boxing podcast with scott and colin i think that just about wraps it up scott any plans for the rest of the day it's about 10 o'clock here so chocolate and sleeping how do you do that how do you eat chocolate and then go to sleep I, i'm kind of curious with with some difficulty, but it goes in my mouth and then I lie down. I guess that's that makes sense. Sometimes, you know what? When I eat the chocolate, I'm going crazy. I'm spinning around. I'm doing jumping jacks. I'm ready to go shadow box outside. But with you, it, it relaxes you and you're ready to sleep. That's a good thing. That's because you eat dark chocolate. Oh, you're right. You're right. Maybe that's the, the energy one. I have to go with the, the heavier stuff. You're just going to light stuff. You're just going to milky stuff. The white stuff. You're right. Okay, milky, white, that's how I go to sleep. Bingo, glass of milk. I'm in bed before 8 o'clock. Sounds like a plan. All right, Scott. Thanks again. We will talk to you next time. And thank you again so much for listening to us here on the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. We'll talk to you next week.